0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. And get ready to receive a word from God. We have been um, journeying through, discovering a little bit. You know, I, I love how simple the word of God is. Don't you? I heard someone say one time, the word is so simple, it takes a good theologian to make it complicated. It takes a, a good theologian to mess it up. God's word is simple, and, it, and he is constantly desiring to reveal his word. But our approach and how we come to the word determines what we get from the word, how we come to it, how we approach it. I can always come either with my idea of what I already know or with my heart open, ready to receive what I have not yet discovered or not yet seen and one of those approaches is effective and productive, and one of those uh, approaches will leave you dry and empty and 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 you know no fruit coming from that at all and so we want to have an approach to the Word of God that is always saying, God show me something I haven't seen. God revealed to me something I've yet to discover. The the life of the believer is a journey. It is a journey, okay? It's not somewhere we get overnight. It's not something that God reveals to you in one moment or in one time, and we can look at the same verse and get something out of it we have never seen before. Why? Because the Word is active It's alive, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it's always dividing, it's always breaking down, it's always showing us something that we have never seen. And so, let's have an approach tonight to the Word that says, God, show me, reveal to me, open my eyes that I may see what has always been there, amen? We've been talking about identity, we've been talking about why it's important to understand and know not just who we are, but the value of who we are. And recognizing that really until we solve the identity crisis, we'll have trouble and struggle to solve any other crisis in our life. That solving the identity crisis will help you battle any other challenge you could ever face in your life. When you know who you are, that, that is the answer to, to every other struggle. I mean, it's the answer to guilt and shame. It's the answer to condemnation. It's the answer for fear. It's the answer for sin. Um, it's the answer for victory in, in, in situations and in, in challenges of life. It's all tied up in identity. And if we don't solve the identity crisis, we said this, then everything else will become a crisis. You won't be able to make enough money to reveal who you are. You won't be able to find enough friends to reveal who you You won't be able to receive enough validation and affirmation in your life to reveal who you are. You won't be able to find the right person to marry, get the right job, be promoted to the right position until you discover who you really are in Him, in Christ, who God created you to be, Everything else you'll be chasing and grabbing, and don't we see that in the world today? It's really just a bunch of people in the world running around who don't know who they really are. But what I've also found on the flip side of that is for someone that knows who they are, it takes very little of the other things to, to create a satisfaction or to create um, this, this, this privilege or this idea uh, of, of, of what I have to have to define who I am. They don't care about what car they drive. They don't care about what house they're in. They don't care about what what other people may think about them. The, the, The need for validation and the need for affirmation isn't as great. Why? Because their identity is solidified. So everything flows through this vein of identity. We understand that even our assignment and our purpose is tied up in our identity. Before God told man what to do, he told him who he is. And so again, we're understanding this concept that I'm going to run around trying to chase what my purpose is. You know, what's, what's crazy about purpose is the man under the bridge and the man in the penthouse are asking the same exact question. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Who am I? It, it, it doesn't matter what experiences you've had. It doesn't matter how much money's in the bank account. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished or what you have yet to accomplish. Everybody's asking these same identifiable questions, the who, what, when, where, why, how questions. Everybody's asking it. And so many times we run to the wrong things. We said this in the first week, that everybody has a source of identity. And if you haven't created or found a source of identity, someone will create it for you. Have you ever found out that if you don't know who you are, people will be happy to tell you who you are? They'll be, be more than, than than gracious to label you, maybe by a fault or a failure, maybe by an accomplishment or a success. Maybe by the number of letters that are attached to your name, by paper on a wall that you have framed in an office or a living room somewhere. Everybody is will we'll run to the chance to label you. And many times we accept those labels because we'd rather live with that label than have no label at all. We'd rather live with a label that identifies us, maybe even in a negative way, than really discovering who we are in Him. So we want to break free from these things and we want to understand what this life of identity really is and how we can discover it. Tonight, I want to show three things. um, How can I put this? Uh, Three things that having a poor identity will lead to. Three things that having a poor identity um, will lead to in our lives. And understanding why it's important to see ourselves the way that God sees us why it's important to define ourselves by the Word of God and not by anything that happens to us or through us or for us. And so uh, three things that having a poor identity will lead to. Number one, a poor identity will lead to a fear of God. A poor identity will lead to a fear of Now, I'm not talking about the fear of God as in a reverence for God. We know that there is a fear of the Lord. That means a fear of disobeying the Lord or fear of being separated from God. That's called a fear of the Lord. That's reverence and that's honor. That's what that means. We're talking about being afraid of God. And in Genesis chapter 3, you know, we we were here, I believe it was last week, we were here in Genesis chapter 3 and we saw that the snake, The snake didn't tempt Eve with fruit. The snake tempted her with identity. If you eat of the fruit, you will be what? Like God. You will be like God. You will be more like God. Well, the last time I checked in Genesis chapter 1, they were created what? In his image and in his likeness. And how many times is the enemy tricking us out of things or deceiving us or manipulating or twisting us into things that we already are or that we've already obtained through him, through Jesus? See, this is why you got to know what belongs to you. I heard someone uh, put it this way. Not knowing what your rights are is just as bad as not having any rights at all. Right? We can only live to the level of our knowledge or to the level um, of perception by the Holy Spirit that we've attained to. I cannot live live beyond my level of knowledge, by my level of what I understand of myself and what God has made available to me. This is why we live limited lives is because we preach limited messages. Come on now. That's why we got to preach the whole counsel of the word. That's why Paul said, I thank God there's no blood on my hands. Your blood's not on my hands. I I never refrain from preaching to you the whole counsel of the word. And picking and choosing what we like and what we don't like only gets us in trouble. Only Only leads to living limited lives. And last time I checked, we serve a limitless God. You serve a limitless God. Don't sell yourself short to what God has for you. Don't sell yourself short to what he's made available to you, to what your potential and your ability is. And so, you know, it, it's, it's my job. You know, I've, I've told you all this before, but a pastor told me when we were first starting in ministry, anything you refuse to preach on or teach on to your people, you can expect them to struggle in. Any area, I, I don't, I don't want to get on the parenting because you know what parents are with, with their kids. You don't, wanna, don't, don't tell me how to parent my kids. Well, I got to show you according to the Word of God how to parent your kids. Oh, you don't want to talk about money. You start talking about money and people just think you're all about money. No, we're going to teach about giving, stewardship, generosity, what it means to be a manager, not an owner. We're, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to cover these things. We're going to preach about the Holy Spirit. We're going to preach about the blood. We're going to preach about gifts. We're going to preach about the, the assignment of the believer. And so, you know, you know I, I've heard people say, you know, you're, you're, you're a hard preacher. I'm not a hard preacher. This is easy stuff. But religion's made it hard. We've got more people discipled by the world than by Christ. Disciple just means learner, follower, pupil. So you're a disciple of whatever you follow. You're a disciple of whatever is leading you and guiding you. So we want to be disciples of the word of God, don't we? And so number one is a fear of God. In Genesis chapter three, this is after man's sin. And look in verse eight. This is after they took the fruit and ate it. And the husband, Adam, he ate it as well. Verse eight says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Then this was not an uncommon thing. The Lord God walked in the garden with them and talked with them and fellowshiped with them. So this wasn't like he's just all of a sudden showing up to beat them down, all of a sudden showing up to because they did something wrong. This was a common thing. But this time when he shows up in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife, what? Hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid themselves. And you know, we still do the same thing by a natural reaction when we know we've missed it, when we've known we've blown it, when we know that there is, you know, shame and guilt shows up. You know, one thing is just so crazy about the devil is he will bombard you to sin. Just do it. It's okay everybody else it's, it won't it's not a big deal you know you know just all these you know justifying and excuses for going against God's word he'll shove you in that direction and the second you blow it he's standing right there to hold it over your head can't believe you did that what a loser you gave in again you're never going to get free you're going to live this way you're not you're not really saved he doesn't love you you're not really I mean the same one that was talking you into it is now bashing you over the head with what you just failed in. Isn't that incredible? We, we, have we not learned yet? And they hid themselves. They, a, a spirit of shame and a spirit of guilt and a, this condemnation just comes over them now. It says that they hid themselves. It goes on to say in verse 9, The Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he's not asking, Where are you? Because he doesn't know. Right? God never asks a question to get an answer. (laughs) He's helping you discover something. Where are you? In verse 10, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was what? Afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. This natural inclination to all of a sudden be afraid of their creator. Be afraid of their designer. Be afraid of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Be afraid of the one that has given them purpose and given them assignment and given them value. And and and, and so not knowing who you really are. You know, Pastor Daryl Huffman said this uh, in one of his Kingdom Rise sessions, and I just caught onto it. It's just so powerful. The the difference between fellowship and relationship. And fellowship enhances relationship, but you don't have relationship because of fellowship. We got to understand the difference. They had a relationship with the creator. They had a relationship with God. Now, yes, sin separates, sin divides. The moment they ate of the tree, you will surely die. They didn't die physically, but they died in the sense of death to the relationship and death to what it once was. And now we see it affecting their fellowship. Another example we could go to is the the prodigal son. Remember when he came to his right mind? And he said, I'll go home and I'll tell my dad if I could just be one of your what? Servants. But what was he really? A son. He wasn't a slave. He wasn't a servant. He was a son. But the brokenness in the fellowship led him to believe there must be a brokenness in the relationship. So even though I left as a son, I can only come back as a servant. Well, guess what? As a son, you are a son. You are a son. Now, we want to get back in right fellowship. We want to get back so that we can have the relationship be what it is. But accepting something lower than what God has called you to be, that is not what God wants for us. And that's what he did. He accepted something lower. Adam and this, uh, Adam and Eve in this passage accepted something lower. They're hiding themselves because of this guilt and condemnation and this shame that's come over them because of the sin that's taken place. What does Romans chapter 8 verse 1 say? There is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus is your identity. In Christ Jesus. You ought to take a a moment, an evening, a day, and go through the epistles, the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, and just underline or circle every time he says, in Christ, or in him, or in whom. Just find them all. I can't remember. Do you remember how many? That's like 160 something. I mean, it's It's Paul trying to help you know who you are in Christ. You know what that statement means? It means every time Jesus, every time God looks at you, he sees Jesus. My life is what? Hidden with Christ. It's what Colossians chapter 3 says. I'm hidden with him. I'm hidden with Christ. When, When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees his son. He sees the spotless Lamb. That doesn't mean I don't blow it. That doesn't mean I don't miss it. But there's a new identity I've taken on. And the thing thing that the enemy wants to do, condemnation is a replacement of identity. That's what condemnation is. Condemnation isn't who you really are. It's a misperception of who you really are. Condemnation is not who you really are. It's not your real identity, but it's a replacement of it. If the enemy can get you to walk in condemnation and shame, then you'll never carry out what God has called you to do. You'll never take on your new identity or your full identity of who you really are. Even though I'm right with God. Even though I'm in right standing. Even though I've been made one with him. Even though my life is hidden with Christ. My life is not my own. I've been bought with the price. All these things that we know about ourselves. You are the righteousness of God where? Where? In Christ Jesus. But condemnation comes in and tells me, no, you're not. You can't achieve that. You can't be that. And then you get bombarded with every reason why you can't be what God has called you to be. So we have to address this. A fear of God does not allow us to walk in our true identity. When you have the correct identity... When you know who you are, you will not have a fear of God. You will not be afraid of God. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Take a look at this. This tells us how we ought to be approaching God. In verse 14, so then... Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. What's that mean? That something's going to come to try and shake who I am. Something's going to try to show up to get me to weaken my grip on my identity. The enemy would love for you to be shaken in your identity. So he says what? What? Hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we did, yet he did not sin. Verse 16. So let us come how? Let us come how? Boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace To help us when we need it most. Come boldly. You don't come boldly if you don't know who you are. I think I used the example last week of how my son rips into my fridge in my house. Right? He boldly goes into the fridge. He boldly goes through the cabinet. He boldly walks into the house. He boldly goes after the things that are in our house. Why? Because he knows who he is. When his friends come over, they don't. When his friends come over, uh, uh, Mr. Mark, Mr. Mark, can I can I get can I get some can I get a snack too? Can I get? Yeah, man, it's yours. Going for it. Until you know who you are, you don't know what you have access to. And so this, you know, the the Bible tells us the, we have not been given a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity. When we're approaching God, there should be no fear in us whatsoever. I mean, zero percent. I mean, not even the smallest form of fear when we approach God. Now, that boldness is not arrogance. That boldness is not coming up, This, you know, give me my stuff. This is boldness according to the word of God. This is boldness according to what he has. And so we bring God's word to him. And you said in your word, by his stripes, I'm healed. And I'm here boldly coming before the throne of grace, making a demanding on the healing that your son provided by the stripes on his back. And I receive that in the name of Jesus. And I stay on it and I don't weaken my grip. I don't weaken, weaken my grasp. Why? It starts with who I am. What is available to me is available to me ultimately because of my new identity. But man, when there's a fear, a fear of God, being afraid of him, man, I mean, the Bible even tells us if any man comes to him double-minded, let him not think he's going to get anything of which he requests. No, we've got to come with no doubt, with, with just an assurance and a confidence. This is, I'm a king's kid. I'm in the house. I'm in the bloodline. His DNA runs through, through, runs through my body, runs through my life. I've been made the righteous. I am the head and not the tail. I'm above. and not, I mean, you're just reciting this stuff over your life. See, there's two types of consciousness that we can live with as a believer. There's two different types. You either live with a sin consciousness or you live with a righteousness consciousness. It's two types of consciousness. Consciousness just means awareness. I'm aware. And some of us are still too fondly aware of our sinful state, of our sinful man, of who we were before Christ. And Jesus came not just so that he, we, we could be free from the punishment of sin but we could actually live free from the, the, the sin control over our life that even though we've been made the righteousness of God, we still live like sorry sinners. Sorry sinners. You know, you've heard me say it quite quite a bit lately. Sinner, saved by grace. Sinner, I'm just a sinner. That, that word just, I mean, ah, it just makes my... my body cringe when I hear the word, because God's looking down and saying, that's what, I, that's what I sent my son to die for? So you could just, by the skin of your teeth, barely get over? Oh, come on. A God that can do abundantly more, we can ask or think. A God that that his son Jesus endured such shame, such punishment, such torture, not just naturally, not just physically in his body, but even spiritually being separated from his father. He took on sin. He became sin. All that so we could just barely squeak ourselves into the heavenly "Uh -uh, I'm content living in the corner over here, God. You know, I don't. Man, boldly access what God has for you. So no more fear approaching the Father. Man, when my son approaches me in fear, I've done something wrong. I've done something wrong. I've messed up somewhere because I haven't secured in him, you're my son. I love you more than anything, and I, you have access, and I want to give you. A, and and what, is, what did Jesus say? If you, being fleshly parents, want to provide that for your kids, how much more your Father in heaven? It was his joy to give you the kingdom. Come on, these are things you got to recite. This is stuff you got to know because the enemy is so content with you living below the standard to which God has called you to live. The enemy loves it when you timidly approach. Man, he's your dad. He's your father. I mean, you know, it's something you just don't know until you really become a parent or become a dad. Understanding that you want want better for them than you had, And that's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. That's what he wants for you. And so that timidity and the fearfulness and the shyness and the, oh, man, we got to get rid of that. We got to boldly approach the throne of grace. No hiding. Man, let's be, let's be free from shame. Let's be free from living inferior. I mean, Pastor Marcy dealt with that in the first first day that she was doing her session on prayer, and and she said, I don't know why, I just can't get off this, But, but if we're approaching the throne with an inferiority complex, if we're approaching the throne shy and timid, and I don't really know if this is mine, we can't partner with heaven with that attitude. You want your prayer life to go to the next level? Discover who you are. You don't know how much of your prayer life is tied up in your identity. I mean, you will start, you will be start boldly proclaiming things, declaring things, requesting things. You start partnering with heaven and your prayer life will go to the next level. No, no fear of God. Number two, a poor identity will lead to a fear of man. A Poor identity will lead to a fear of man. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see a king, King Saul. If you remember when King Saul was selected, he was, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else, right? Good looking, came from a wealthy family. You know, he checked off all the natural boxes, right? And the thing that we have to realize is, you know, what it, the, the criteria that we think we were chosen by ultimately becomes the criteria we think we have to maintain. I did a whole series earlier this year. If you weren't here or you haven't uh, had a chance to listen, you know, be sure to get online, check out the podcast. But I, I did a whole series on the criteria of kings. To reign as a king, what does that mean? What What is the criteria or the standard that we meet? And the thing that you know, I I tried to drill home toward the end of it is Jesus met every box, checked off every box for you and I on the cross. You now meet the standard of requirement. And it's a high standard. Right? Because we said this, you can't have high values with low standards. Can't have high values with low standards. And so if you're wanting God to meet you down here, then he's got to lower the standard as well, and he won't do that. But he's put it in you by his mercy and by his grace to rise to the standard to which he's called you, to what a king looks like. Kings and queens reigning and ruling on the earth, what a child of God looks like, what the DNA that's now been put in you, the bloodline you now come from. But in that, we saw the king... Saul, in that he checked off all these exterior boxes, and so because he knows he got in by the approval of man, guess what? He had to continue to reign to keep the approval of man. And in First Samuel chapter 15, just to give you the quick rundown, uh, God gives him command: go and utterly destroy, wipe out the Amalekites. Right? And he goes in, but he decides to keep all the good things. And so the prophet Samuel shows up the next day, and he's like, I, I hear sheep, and I hear cows, and I hear people. Why, why do I hear all this? Oh, you know, we, the, the, the people, you know, they, they, they chose to keep the good stuff to sacrifice to the Lord. And he's like, well, no, you, you blatantly disobeyed and disregarded the word of the king that was given to you. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. So he's arguing back and forth. And finally, down in verse 24, he admits his fault. In verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. And it took a lot just to get to that point. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Here it is. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I feared the people and obeyed their voice because he didn't know who he was because he didn't have a proper identity of his calling, his assignment, his purpose, his destiny. He lived for the approval and pleasure of man. And you know, so many of us, we find, a, we find ourselves in that same circle of always trying to please and appease people so many grown men today still trying to get validation from their fathers, still trying to get approval from their dads. Their dads didn't ever say, I'm proud of you or I love you, or and, and still doing things to get their dads to notice. And then, you know, a lot of grown men, because they couldn't get it from their dad, they have found proxies to stand in for them. Now they want their approval because my dad, so if you give me approval, it's like my dad giving me approval. And grown men. I mean, 50, 60-year-old men sometimes still trying to get validation and approval in life from people. You know, I mentioned Paul when he said, you know, I I did not shy away from giving you the full counsel of the word. At another point, he said, "I, I don't preach for the pleasure of man. I preach for the approval of God. I think it was Billy Graham that made this statement. I'm gonna to try to recite it as well as I can. Something along the lines of if you live by the praise of man, you will die by their criticism as well. If you live for their praise and for their approval, then you'll we we we've got to live beyond what people think about us. We've got to live beyond, you know, many of us sacrifice obeying God because we want to appease man. And that's exactly what King Saul did. He transgressed a command of God because he chose to appease. He said, because I feared the people. In the very next verse, verse 25, now therefore, please pardon my sin and watch this and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Even in that statement, it was still in an effort to, so that people would see that he still had God's hand on his life. I need you to go with me because if you don't go with me, it's going to look like I'm, I messed up somewhere. So if you go with me, then it'll look like you know, everything's okay. I need you to pardon me. His effort wasn't because he was truly sorrowful because he was truly asking for forgiveness and repenting of what he did. Still in that statement, his resoluteness in his mind was, I need the people to think that I'm better than I really am. That's all that 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 statement was. There was no, when David messed up, y'all remember when David messed up. When David messed up, as awful as, the second it came to light, I mean, he became sorrowful. He became repentant. I mean, anguished in his soul that he could do such a thing to transgress the commandment of God. And that as a king and the position and the responsibility that he was in, that he had allowed himself to fall so far. And to walk in such horrific sin. But it was the nature of his heart. And even to this day, the word says that was a man after my own heart it's quoted of him that way in the new testament even after that's a man after my not because he didn't fail but because when he did he recognized that obeying and appeasing his father is more important than what other people think and so when we don't have a a, a healthy or proper identity according to the word of god of who we are we live with the fear of man whether trying to appease them whether trying to please them whether living by their affirmation and validation. And many times when you live for the pleasure of man, it compromises your obedience to God almost every time. You know, I was just reading a, a, a thing today online about a pastor in, in, in uh, Tennessee, I think he is. And he was just, you know, ministering about how we need preachers to boldly stand up and address the things that are going on in the world today. Boldly preach the word, not shy away, not cower away. But then I was just saddened to read the comments. The comments were about pastors or some of the comments were from pastors that were saying why they don't feel they could say what they say. I don't want to upset the biggest giver in my church. I don't want to get a poor reputation in town. We've, we've, we've built this and we've done this. I'm telling you right now, there are testing seasons that are coming to ministers. Are you going to live for the validation and approval of man? If you lost it all today, would you still obey me and stay with the word? In the message translation, it says this. In these two verses, the message translation reads this way. Saul gave in and confessed, I've sinned. I've trampled roughshod over God's word and your instructions. I cared more about pleasing the people. I let them tell me what to do. I let them tell me what to do. No, that's not the way that God wants us to live and when you become secure in your identity then you become secure in your assignment you become secure in who you're trying to please and who is not worth pleasing at the point of compromising the word of god yeah you i'm know, I'm thankful that we've we've had such a supportive and amazing church but at the same time we've had opportunities and challenges where people have told me if I keep preaching this, this will happen. I mean, not even that long ago, we had uh, sat down with a couple when a lot of this mess was starting to break loose and 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 they, they basically pointed their finger and said, you need to address these things and, and I've got printouts that you need to make available and I told them I won't do it. I won't do it. <laughs> and then they they go on later to say that that I care too much about pleasing people. Well, obviously not. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how more ironic your statement could be. Obviously, I'm not about pleasing people because you wanted me to do something that I looked at you and said, we will not address that. We will not do that. We will not minister in that that way. I I don't know, you know. But at the end of the day, we know the challenges will come. I mean, there's pastors in Canada getting arrested for keeping their churches open right now. Oh, we just got it so good down here. You know? We've got to be ready to live for him, even at the risk of maybe losing people. You know, Jesus went to the cross all by himself. I mean, if Jesus was going to appease anybody, he would have appeased Peter in Matthew chapter 16 when he said, Lord, I'll make sure this this never happens to you. If he's going to appease anybody, it would have been his best friend that was saying, I'll make sure this doesn't happen. And what did he say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. No, because you're standing between me and my assignment. That only, becomes, that only happens because he has a secure identity in who he is. So if we don't have a secure identity, we compromise everything else. Number three. We said a fear of God, a fear of man. And this is the third one that I think our identity, if we don't have a healthy identity or a biblical identity. Another travesty is a fear of risk. A fear of risk. We develop a improper fear of God, an unhealthy fear of God that, uh, you know, affects our relationship and how we approach him, how we communicate, what, what the partnership with heaven, a fear of man trying to please man over obeying God, but then this fear of risk. In Matthew chapter 25, in Matthew chapter 25, this, uh, beginning with verse 14 is the parable of the three servants. The parable of the talents is probably how it's labeled in your Bible. And a master gave to three of his servants different denominations of talents. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, and to one he gave one. And when he left and went on a long journey, the one with five went and doubled what he had and brought back 10, right? And the one that had two doubled what he had And brought back four. But we know the one with the one talent. He chose to bury it in the ground. Sat on it. He would rather have not lost it than risk it. Right? He would have rather to just return the one to the master. Than risk losing the one and having nothing in return. So in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 24. After... Uh, he's already done. He, the, the masters confronted the one with five and the one with two. Each of them got the response uh, uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with the few. Now you'll be made ruler over much, right? In verse 24, then the one who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown. And gathering where you have not scattered seed. Verse 25, here are the words, and I was afraid. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. His, He had an unhealthy relationship with the master you're you're a hard man and I, the other two didn't have this didn't have this challenge didn't have this issue the other two didn't have a problem with his leadership and who the master was but this this one servant didn't understand who he was so it affected his relationship or his identity of who the master was that's the first point that we saw, but now it affected what he had in his possession. It affected his assignment, if you will. It affected what he did with what the master put in his care. Every single person on this planet has been given some kind of ability, some kind of influence, some kind of gift, some kind of talent. Every There's not one mistake. There's not one person walking this planet that has no point in being on this earth. And being in, You have something that the master has put at your disposal and put in your care. But if you have a poor identity of yourself, you won't use it. You won't use it. You won't use your gift for what it was designed. You know, Hollywood is full, uh, full of people with a lack of proper identity using gifts, extraordinary gifts, for the wrong purpose. You know what they're doing? They're burying talent. Singers, musicians, artists, actors. Some of them have some amazing creative minds. Not just to act, but even to, to write screenplays, write films, and, and produce, and direct. and I mean, just, you know, human beings are amazing. God designed us with some amazing abilities. But with a poor identity. With a poor identity. Not only is it those that don't use it at all and isolate, but even those that use their gift, but in the wrong environment. You know, one of the greatest dangers uh, of mankind today is being busy, but not effective. Being busy, but making no difference in the world. Just staying busy, busyness. So this, this, this concept of what we do, how we steward the gifts that God has given us, the influence God has given us, It's tied to our identity. It's tied to knowing who we really are. The message translation reads it this way in Matthew chapter 25, verse 24. The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. Verse 25, I was afraid I might disappoint it's a fear of risk. It's a fear of taking risks. Let me tell you something. The life of faith is a life of risk. The life of faith is just that. If you can't take risks, then you can't live the life of faith that God has called us to. Faith is taking steps into the unknown. Take fear or, or, or faith is, is walking into things without an assurance or a confidence. You know, we've said this many times. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is sight. Because faith is believing what I cannot see. You know, one great quality of visionaries I, I, that I, I just I love reading about visionaries and and documentaries about visionaries, because they see things almost in complete reality before they ever take place. You know Walt Disney, you know he passed before. You know one of the parks opened up. There was something that you know was a, a, a vision of his. I think it might have been Walt Disney World in Orlando. That he didn't even see that. And so that the ribbon-cutting ceremony, one of the chairmen of the board or whatever was standing next to his wife and and said, oh, Walt would have loved to see this. And she responded and said, he did. He saw it before any of us. That's what it means to live by faith, is seeing what has not yet taken place. To be a visionary, to live with big dreams, big visions, and not allowing small-minded people to move you to small actions, come on, living beyond your uh, uh, current ability, current capacity, current competency, learning new things, becoming new things, stepping into new realms. That's a life of faith, and that, that requires, it makes a demand of a risk taker. And with an unhealthy identity, we don't take risks. We stay in our box. We don't want to ruffle feathers. We don't want to put a wrinkle on anything. We, we don't want to get out where we're, we're too, too, too far away to, to grab on anymore. That getting out of the boat mentality is what we've got to have. In Revelations chapter 12 and verse 11, Revelations 12 and verse 11 in the message it reads this way. They defeated him through the blood of the Lamb, in the bold word of their witness, and look at what it says here, they weren't in love with themselves. they were willing to die for Christ. They weren't in love with themselves, but they were willing to die for Christ. That's a risk taker. In these last days, we, we're going to need some boldness like we've never seen before. We're going to need some risk-taking like we've never seen. You might need it in your business. We might need it on the ball field. We might need it in a hospital. You might need it with your own family. But there is something God is calling us to do. And without a proper identity of who we are, without really knowing who he's created us to be and what he's destined us to do, we'll we'll, we'll bump up against that risk and say, "Ah, I can't, no, I could could never do that. He, he He wouldn't call me. Man, it just seems like it's just the the business of heaven to call people to do things that they were never, never had any experience. I mean, think about something God's calling you to right now. Think about something God has put on your heart, laid on your heart. Maybe it's a frustration that you see. Sometimes what you get frustrated about is an indication to your purpose. An indication to your calling. Because it does something in you that it doesn't do to anybody else. It bothers you in a way that it doesn't bother other people. Maybe that's the very thing he's assigning to you. I've, I've, I've seen people step out and foster children. And, and it, like, I have no business around kids. <laughs> stepping out and starting a business, getting into government, teaching in a school. I mean, whatever it is, God is laying things on people's hearts in these last days in the church, in the church. To step out and do things they would have never thought they would be doing. I mean, Matt was just telling me about an individual uh, just before I came in here, in my office, an individual that he talked to, doing something in life that, that he actually told God, he said, God, you're going to have to remove that thing. You, I mean, it's going to have to absolutely be you. It's, you are going to have to open that door. You're going to, I'm not even pursuing this. I'm not even going to, you're going to, and, and it just kept coming. It just kept coming. This is what God wants out of, our, out of us. But an insecurity and an inferiority and, and, and a complex about our identity will, will cause us to bury what He's asking us to use and take a risk with? Take the risk. What's the worst thing that could happen? Now, I'll tell you what, there should not be, if I, if I could come up with a fourth one or just attach it to this third one, fear of failure. People with a healthy identity, they don't have a fear of failure. They don't have a fear of falling flat on their face, stepping out and doing what God has called them to do. If the thing blows up in smoke, if the thing just, you know, absolutely doesn't make it, then we'll move on to the next thing. That's something I'm, uh, God's even working on in my life because I'm not naturally that way. But it's time for us to break from the natural. I mean, don't blame it on, well, that's not my demeanor. That's not really my attitude. That's not really my. I mean, there are some things that are going to demand that you become uncharacteristic about. That, that, that Man, I can't believe you're talking like I can't believe you're trying to do that business. I can't believe you're, I didn't think you had ever. Here I am doing what God has called us to do taking risk, taking leaps of faith, stepping out on the word of God and watching him move mightily in our lives. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website,